All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Conversations podcast, kind of, uh, with Genesis Church. My name is Chris Creech, and due to some scheduling issues, Jeff and I have decided that um, over the next couple podcasts, basically, we're going to alternate. I'm going to talk about something, and then he'll come back in and talk about something. And, you know, with holidays and COVID and everything going on, it's just been kind of difficult to schedule. So today we're going to be taking a uh, really high overview, um, 10,000 feet or more, on how to study the Bible. So, you know, we talk about a lot how important it is to study the Bible, um, how essential it is that we spend time in the Bible, but then... A lot of times we just kind of leave it there and, and we don't take the next step in how to study the Bible. And reading is one of my favorite hobbies. I read constantly. Um, keeping track, I usually read between 50 and 70 books a year. Um, I love to read. I don't read as many anymore. Um, but, you know, I love to read. And and generally when I am reading, I am not writing research papers on these books. I'm actually never doing that. So I can just kind of read for enjoyment. I can read it, say, hey, cool, here's what happened, and then leave it alone. But we can't really do that with the Bible because if we just read it, um, it can be an enjoyable book, but it won't change us. So we have to be able to read it and study it well and then apply it to our lives. Um, So we're going to be talking just, again, broad overview. We may talk about this more in the future, or if you've got questions please feel free to message us on Facebook. Um, you can email me. That's Chris, C-H-R-I-S dot C-R-E-E-C-H at GenesisBegins.com. Um, you can contact us that way. You can go to our website, GenesisBegins.com, and click the Contact Us tab. Uh, we are definitely open uh, for questions and, and can kind of help walk you through a couple of the things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, but for now... Really broad overview on kind of how to study the Bible and why that's important. So we're going to talk about uh, studying the Bible in three steps, which is basically what does the Bible say, what does the Bible mean, and how can I use that? And so when we look at those three steps, we're going to see how reading the Bible becomes um I mean, it's still an enjoyable experience, but it goes beyond being an enjoyable experience to being a life-changing experience. So let's start off. Let's look at step one. So step one is looking at the Bible and saying, what does it say? Uh, Now, this is the most basic step, uh, but it's often the most misunderstood step. I mean, you guys understand when we lose track of the basics, sometimes we might, uh, you know, mess up things down the line. Um, You know, when a football team forgets how to run the ball, then, you know, maybe they're going to fail in other areas as well. So we need to make sure we've got the basics nailed down, like what does the Bible say? And if we fix this step, uh, we fix a lot of our second step, the what does it mean step. And it's kind of like laying a good foundation for a house. If you got a good foundation, uh, the rest of it's going to be better, more healthy, and less likely to fall down around you. Um, so what are we looking for in this what does it say step? What does it say step? Uh, The first thing that we're looking for is language, translation issues, things like that, Uh, terms used. It's important we use the word terms sometimes because a term means something very specific. A word can be anything. One of the things we teach in English classes um, is the idea of like homonyms, homophones, uh, homographs, things like um, park and park. You know, I park my car at the park. Um, Those 
if we think of those as words, then somebody just says park. And we're instantly given a definition in our mind, whether it's what the original person meant or not. Now, if he says, I park my car, we obviously know he's not talking about park, you know, a large green space where we can play and run and have fun. And so looking at some of those language and translation issues, words and terms, um, words that we don't really have a meaning for or that the original language can mean many more things. Some words in the Bible might have up to even 50 different meanings, although most don't have nearly that many. Um, a couple of examples here. There is a passage in the Bible that talks about unholy spirits in the heavenly places. Um, I got asked about that one a few weeks ago. And the easiest answer is, man, when the Bible says heavenly places, that word can be expanded to mean many different things. Not just heaven, but heavenly places, the spiritual realm, things like that. And so we tend to, uh, we need to look at those word origins and kind of what, what can they mean other than what I'm thinking that they mean. Um, and let's, uh, let's apply this to First um, Timothy 2.15. He's talking about um, Eve being deceived by Satan. And then it says in First Timothy 2.15, but women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. So, this is kind of an interesting section because we're talking about women being saved. And if we think of the word saved here, then we immediately go to the idea of being saved eternally. Um, I'll go to heaven when I die. But the problem is, if we think of that then all of a sudden, women will be saved through childbearing becomes very problematic for women that don't have children. Um, and so when we see that, immediately we have to look at other spots in the Bible and decide, okay, it can't mean what I think it means, so let me look at some other ideas here. And if we look in the Bible, the word saved can be used in many ways, like um, entering God's kingdom, uh, being delivered from physical death or distress, things like that. And so we can actually look at that verse and now say, oh, women will be saved, you know, through childbearing. So, yes, it's bad, but they will make it through. Or even to the point where we say women will be saved through childbearing because Jesus was a product of childbearing from Mary. And so it becomes many different ways to look at it, but without the idea that women have to have a child to become a Christian. So you can see kind of, this is obviously one of those examples that like stretches the argument almost to the absurd, but it's there and people do read it that way because they don't look back at things like language and translation issues. And so that's a, uh, that's a very important thing to do. And when we look at translation issues, we also look at things like our translation of the Bible. Um, there are translations of the Bible that interpret words incorrectly. And we have to be willing to look at our translation of the Bible or our preferred translation and go, man, that's just not right. I need to switch translations or at least have multiple translations on hand uh, to avoid that. Um, another thing that we're looking for in the text, things like repetition and emphasis. Uh, one of my favorite things to point this out is Psalm 136. Um so it starts out, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And then every other line for the rest of the 26 verses is his love 
endures forever. So if we are looking at things like repetition and emphasis, if the Bible says something over and over again, especially in a small passage, it can often carry uh, special significance. And so what we look at here is, is things like in Psalm 136, okay, what's the author really trying to say? Well, when he throws in this much repetition and emphasis, we have to assume that the author is trying to tell us God's love endures forever, right? And so, you know, all of these other lines are good, but the main emphasis is that his love endures forever. So the repetition and emphasis here uh, gives us a very big point of what the author was trying to say. Um, one thing that's important to look at is also when we're looking at what does it say, literary devices and form. Now, if you paid attention to English class in high school, you know there's a lot of things that we can use to make our writing more interesting. Um, things like personification, similes, metaphors, irony, puns. Um, and there's also different forms that we can write. If my English teacher told me to write an essay on, let's say, Joan of Arc, and I turned in a haiku, you know, a poem with five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, she would probably not be very happy. That was uh, Miss Zidlick in my senior year, and she gave me lots of really good grades. If I did that, I don't think I would get a good grade because it's important to write in the style uh, that was expected of us. And it's also important to read in the style that you are given. So, for example, if I read an epic poem as if it were literal history, I am going to be very confused. Um, you know, when uh, in Homer's The Odyssey, the Hydra pops up, or, um, you know, the other things, the Scylla and Charybdis in Homer's Odyssey, uh, I'm going to be very confused about where I can find those in the world because we're talking about an epic uh, fictional poem designed to tell us a story versus an actual historical account. So it's important to know the literary devices and the literary form that we are working with. Uh, other things that we can look at are things like, um, oh, and going back to form. Uh, this does change a lot about which passages that we can believe are literal or ones that are designed to tell us a story. And I think that a lot of times we either lean towards the Bible being far too literal or we lean towards it being far too metaphorical. And there's probably a happy medium somewhere. I don't know what it is, but there are definitely parts of the Bible that are designed to tell us a story with a meaning and things that are, are real. So it's important that we do things like learn, you know, for, for example, let's, let's use a very easy example. Um, is this a historical account of Jesus's life and Jesus telling a historical uh, story? Or is this a part of Jesus's life and Jesus is telling a fictional story like a parable? And so when we read the Bible in its actual intended form, we are able to kind of switch gears between those. So, okay, here, you know, we're talking about Jesus's life. Oh, here Jesus is telling a story that's fictional but gives us a really helpful meaning. And that's a really easy example because it's easy to see where Jesus switches gears from, all right, I'm teaching about God's kingdom to boom, I'm telling a story. Uh, but it is important uh, to know kind of when we need to switch gears between, all right, this, this is probably, you know, not written specifically about me to, you know, this is probably a story that someone was telling or that Jesus was telling to, 
No, this is an actual historical account. Um, and again, nobody really knows which parts of the Bible are literal or metaphorical. Um, so it's important that we you know, learn how to read it well and that we are able to trust people when we talk about the meaning of the Bible and how we can use it. Um, because, you know, a parable we know is, is fictional, but, you know, Jesus made them up, but we also know they teach a very good lesson. So if we are able to draw out the lesson, that's a win. That's a good thing. Um, so other literary devices and forms, things you're looking for, like contrasting ideas or if then statements, um, things like, uh, similes or metaphors, and then going back, you know, early we were talking about language and translation issues. Well, if I write the word, you know, if I write the simile, man, he drives like the devil. Then in a thousand years, if someone picks that up and reads it, they may have a very different idea of what I meant because of, you know, the idea of context. Well, man, I was using a simile. I was using something that compared something to something that is not like it. Two unlike things are now compared using the word like or as. He drives like the devil. Well, apparently, we need to know what that simile is so that we are able to translate it correctly. Um, you know, and those those similes, metaphors, things are all over the Bible. Even things like personification. Uh, in Proverbs, wisdom and folly are perso- personified as two contrasting women. Um, irony is in the Bible. Puns are in the Bible occasionally. Um, hyperbole, so the intentional exaggeration of something. Uh, you know, when Peter asks about forgiving someone, he says, you know, how many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Should I do that seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 seven times, 70 times. So is Jesus saying, well, yeah, forgive them 490 times and then cut them off? No, he's using hyperbole to say to keep a forgiving heart. And so when we're able to identify some of those uh, literary devices, it might change how we read scripture and the meaning we pull from it. And probably the most important thing to keep our eyes on is context. Uh, you know, and we can use the W questions. We can use um, four of them here. Who, what, when, where. Um, and then when we get to, you know, what does it mean, we can talk about why. Or when we get to applying it, we can talk about why. But So who was this passage written to and who was it about? Uh, what's happening in the passage? What's happening in, you know, in the next W, which is when? So what's happening in the passage? What's happening in the when? When is the passage set? Uh, what historical and cultural context do we have? So, for example, on that one, man, let's talk about um, Romans 13. Uh, you know, Paul's talking about government authorities being put in place by God and we need to respect them. Well, some people might be like, yeah, but, you know, Paul doesn't know what's going on now. Or, you know, well, God couldn't have put this person in place. Well, man, I mean, Paul's talking during a time of Christian persecution. So he knew. I mean, this was worse than what any of us have experienced today. And so we need to make sure that we understand, man, the context of that shows that Paul was very, very serious about that. So when is the passage set? What historical and cultural context do we have? Where is it taking place? And understanding these things can lead us to understand uh, a better context for the passage. So, for example, if I say something like, you know, today is November 17th, you know, 2020, and that's the day I'm recording this, by the way. And, you know, in the next three weeks, many people will get sick and die. 
Well, if someone reads this a thousand years from now, they would need to know where I was, the U.S., when it was, 2020, and what type of writing it was. Because we, even with those limited steps, someone might avoid thinking that this is like a fortune cooking fortune cookie prophecy about their people uh you know a thousand years from now and they might understand okay well this is just a prediction about COVID-19 running through the rest of its course you know or through the next three weeks of its course they might say oh he's just talking about you know this disease that was in 2020 and it killed people you know and so knowing those steps and being able to look through the context the literary devices you know why someone wrote this and when they wrote it and what they wrote it about and who they wrote it to um, similes and metaphors used all this stuff we just talked about knowing that can help us greatly understand what a passage actually means and that takes us to the second step of uh, studying the bible and that is what does it mean and here we tend to go back to things like culture and context. So this step kind of blends with the last part of that first step, the uh, you know who, what, where, when thing. And so we've seen what the passage says. You know, we've looked at terms used. We've looked at some of that context stuff. And then we go back to those and we determine more about what it means and how it is relevant to us today. Um, so after we look at culture and context... After we look at, well, man, you know, maybe this person was writing specifically to those people because of something specific to that time. Uh, after we look at that stuff, one thing we can do is um, cross-reference. And that is, what does the Bible say about this in other places? Because if there's a perceived inconsistency, if there's a some kind of perceived disagreement with what the Bible says, we need to know what caused that. Did cultural differences cause it? Did context cause it? Did translation difficulties cause it? Maybe a word that maybe meant two slightly different things. Uh, and so we need to ask what caused that because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It doesn't disagree with itself. So when we see something that looks like a contradiction, we get to apply steps to multiple passages and go, okay, here's what was probably the difference. Now, it's also an important thing to do when you see a passage agreeing with a preconceived notion. If you think, well, this passage says this, so I'm right, and this passage backs it up, so I'm also right. Still a really good thing to do to both of those passages because it may show you, well, my understanding of one of these might have been just a little bit off. And so, you know, sometimes when we look at those exact same things, maybe a translation issue gave us the same English word, but maybe a very nuanced difference in the original language. So when a passage seems to disagree or agree, we need to cross-reference. We need to look at other places in the Bible where it might show this. And uh, often we use this when we uh, interpret very difficult passages. Uh, we use something called, we use the clear to interpret the unclear. And so when we have a passage that's not really clear, but we think, well, maybe it could mean one of these three things. Well, maybe one of those three things is referenced several other times in the Bible and the two aren't. Well, then we can use what's clear in the Bible to kind of help us clear up that unknown. Now, something very helpful in the uh, what does it mean, the cross-referencing, the understanding the text and understanding what it means is using other people's ideas. Now, I know when I said that, some people just kind of like tensed up and said, well, you need to read the Bible on your own. You need to form your own ideas. But here's the thing. For the vast majority of people, we already trust other sources. 
you know, we trust the translators because many of us, including me, don't have a lot of knowledge of biblical language. Uh, we trust pastors to preach what the Bible said accurately. We trust the notes in the bottom of our study Bibles to teach us what the Bible says. And so we already trust those outside sources a fair amount. And there are good outside sources to use. Now, here's the thing. There are also very bad outside sources to use. And we can usually make recommendations on both. Stay away from this one. Go get this one. Um, so we use a lot of commentaries when we are interpreting the Bible. And a commentary is just basically somebody wrote what they believed the Bible means for this passage. And sometimes for every passage in the Bible. I mean, I've got a couple of full commentary sets that basically run the whole gamut of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And somebody wrote their thoughts on every verse. And oh my goodness, if that does not sound like a time-consuming process, but that's uh, a little bit off track. So basically what we're saying is to cross-reference with commentaries, you can look that kind of stuff up online, which also does become a little more dangerous because the internet is a great place to find opinions that back up what you already believe, which makes it very dangerous. So I would say get a recommendation on a commentary uh, from somebody you trust. You can even ask those questions. Hey, what do you think this means? And, and you know, so get a recommendation from somebody you trust on a commentary or ask somebody you trust to kind of go through the passage with you. Now, at the risk of sounding arrogant, please come to one of your pastors after you get a recommendation. Because like I said earlier, I know a ton of really good commentaries and I know a lot of really bad ones. And the, the bad ones can run the range of, well, you know, I don't exactly agree with this guy to, oh, this guy is like anti-Christianity or... You know, this is heretical, which is a word we don't toss around very much. But, you know, the Bible talks a lot about, you know, protecting people from false teachers. And some of those false teachers have written commentaries and they've got doctorates. And they say, you know, I've studied the Bible my whole life. But in reality, they've studied the Bible and they are lying about it. Or they are mistaken about it. Or they are deceived by some outside source about it. And so it's very important that when we formulate our views about the Bible, we do them from trusted sources. All right, now once we know kind of um, what the Bible says and then what it actually means, we get to a very important step of how we can use this. Uh, so once we look at that, uh, the reason this step becomes so important is that James 4.17 says, if we know the good we should do and don't do it, we sin. Now the Bible teaches us what's to, what to do, and once we've studied it, we get to do it. We apply it to our lives. Now, the thing about application from the Bible is there are so many different ways to apply it based on things we've talked about earlier. Uh, who was it written to and, you know, uh, what time period was it written and what literary form is it in? So some passages, some passages might teach us different things. Like if we look at the New Testament, Paul's letters, Jesus' life, a lot of those very specifically tell us, here are things to do, here are things to not do. Those are really the easiest ones to draw application from because the Bible is very black and white. Here's what I do. Here's what I don't do. Close the book, walk away, right? But that's the thing. The, the different passages can teach us a lot of different things about God. So some passages might teach us, hey, it's okay to be honest with God. The Psalms. Uh, some might give us good advice on life. Proverbs. 
Um, some might teach us about God so we can teach others and might teach us that God is in control and God is the creator, Genesis. Some might teach us how to live when life is hard, Revelation. There are a ton of books in the Bible, and they all can teach us different things and some the same things. So it's very important to look through them, study them, you know, figure out what they mean, and then figure out a way to apply it to your life. And here's the thing about uh, the Bible. You know, if you guys watch reruns of stuff, I love, man, I love The Office and I love Seinfeld. And, um, you know, I've watched through those series dozens of times, I think. <laughs> and it's funny because even after you've watched them so much, you'll watch through an episode and be like, wait, what happened there? I didn't catch that before. And the Bible's the same way. You're going to read through it and go, all right, I need to pull one application from this, just one thing that I need to do based on this passage. And that's great. And then the next time you read through it, you might go, oh, man, here's another thing that I need to do with my life. Here's where I need to let God work on me. And so, you know, it's okay if you don't get everything from a passage the first time. That is absolutely okay because you're going to pick up stuff on subsequent readings of the Bible and subsequent studies of the Bible. So if we think of the whole process, let's think of the whole process like being a detective. A detective, you know, is assigned a crime. Well, they can't just jump to arresting someone. They have to decide what the clues say. They have to decide what the situation means. And they have to decide how that builds their evidence in their case. And then they can arrest someone, of course. But when we jump straight to the last step, when we jump straight to how can I use this in our biblical interpretation, we absolutely have the potential to be dangerous. Because when we decide, you know, I can use this in this way, but we haven't studied what it means and we haven't trusted God to show us what it means, we might be doing the wrong thing. It's also important to avoid just learning what the Bible says and what the Bible means and leaving out how can I use this. Because then we become very knowledgeable about the Bible, but we don't practice it. And that looks like a lack of love. And that also makes us very dangerous Christians. So we have to be able to use this whole process uh, to learn how to study the Bible. All right. Well, if you guys have questions, again, uh, we dropped that contact information near the beginning. Uh, Chris.Creech, that's C-H-R-I-S dot C-R-E-E-C-H, at GenesisBegins.com. You can also go to GenesisBegins.com and click that Contact Us tab. If you're watching on Facebook, feel free to shoot us a message. We'd be glad to help you through any of these steps or answer any questions you picked up. Um, But other than that, that is it from me, and we will see you here in a couple of weeks. Thank you.